and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week. Going to guide you gently through the first show of 2024, listeners. Happy New Year and hope you had a good break. Hope you had a chance to uh, re-power batteries and get ready for what's going to be a crazy year. And we've got a really special show for you today because we've got the whole of the PR Week team to talk about what they're looking forward to most or what trends they've identified for the year ahead. So it's going to be a special show. We've got Frank Washkirk, Executive Editor. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Regular co-host. But we've got Diana Bradley, PR Week Diana, as she's better known. Diana, um, how are you? I'm great. Happy New Year. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. There's a few Christmas jumpers, sweaters, and clothing items in here. Is that a producer fits? Is that a Christmas uh, sweater there? No. You're just stylish. There are no Christmas sweaters in here. (laughs) Okay. Well, you've got them for sweaters. Sweaters purchased for Christmas presents, yes. Um, And sorry, you've got a little PR week, Diana. See, that's the style she uses, listeners, when you're being interviewed. (laughs) comes over all nice and then just throws in that sort of uh, tricky little question you see to get what she needs. We've got Jess Ruderman, who's the senior reporter on PR Week. Jess, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes. Good. Uh, Yes, indeed. We've got Ewan Larkin, PR Week reporter. I'm doing well, Steve. Chuffed to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to have you with us. We're happy but not so happy about Manchester United. No, as always. The holidays are terrible as usual. So uh, luckily we're only playing twice in January. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) And we got Brandon Dura, reporter on PR Week and Campaign. Lucky to get some time with you, Brandon. How are you? I am fantastic. So excited to be back and more of you in funny little phrases he likes to throw out like chefs. Yes, we love a funny little phrase, especially on the podcast. We We shouldn't forget... forget podcast producer the man with the magic um bill fitzpatrick bill bill fitz magic we call you um how are you doing doing pretty good yeah how's it going well it's all the better for seeing you my friend so we're all here we're all ready to go we've got lots to get through so we're obviously this is going to be a, a busy busy year 2023 was crazy but we've got something between 40 odd and 60 odd elections going on around the whole globe in 2024 so certainly politically there's going to be some big um, things happening and it's the first time i believe that the us and the uk will have an election in the same year ever actually and uh, also the first time there's been um, eu elections and us elections in the same year for a couple of decades there's an election in russia i think we know who might win but it's still significant, even though the, you know the, it's by nature a dictatorship. So that's a, a sort of set piece or a backdrop to a lot of things that'll be going on and business will be playing in all those areas. We've got the ongoing wars that we've been following and the tragic events in Ukraine and, and the Middle East that continue and another geopolitical uh, thing that underpins everything. So lo- lots of um, talk about AI and um, disinformation, misinformation, trust, purpose, all those good things. But we wanted to dig into each person's specific uh, reporting beat just to get a bit more 
of a drill down and more detail on what they're expecting. Let's start with you, Frank. We mentioned the elections, and obviously we'll be focusing on the US election principally. And uh, you put you elected to pick out election spending and agency strategies around that to chat about. So talk us through it. Well, first, I wanted to say you mentioned before that we would all be talking about things we're looking forward to in 2024. And I, I don't think anybody's really looking forward <laughs> to the yeah. to the at least the U.S. presidential election where you have uh, what's looking like two rather unpopular candidates who, who will be facing off. But also half of the American public says that A.I. will have some impact on the election, which is a really scary thought. And um, that's that's influenced a lot by the fact that uh, there are more bad actors out there. They have more tools to use uh, as they spread disinformation and misinformation. And the social networks and not just X, which was formerly known as Twitter, of course, but really uh, most of the major social networks have pulled back on their security or have pulled back on their verification tools and their verification personnel. So it's looking to be a really uh, sloppy uh, year in terms of correct information getting out to voters, uh, which you could imagine can be manipulated very easily and have a very negative impact. Okay, so... Um, the burden of all of that does fall to the agencies to some degree, some of which have AI tools that they use to monitor disinformation, and many of which will be working on elections both local, statewide, uh, and nationally. Um, and one thing I'm looking forward to seeing is what types of platforms and technologies get more of the spending than they have in years past as audiences move away from traditional TV. And there's always in every presidential election um, a, a new social media story that's written in terms of where the spending goes, how it's used, uh, and who uses it well and who gets left behind. So that's one thing that uh, I think a lot of people are interested in for next year, for this year, excuse me, for this year, for 2024. Yes, this year. We're in We're in. 24, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe the only person looking forward to it is Donald Trump, isn't it? Because he seems to be pretty much guaranteed well, it, it, to be. Yeah, the, it might be his only ticket out of jail at this point. Well, so. yeah. I don't know. Do you really think he'll end up in jail? I mean. I think he'll end up convicted. Right. Not necessarily in jail. Would that preclude him from running then if he was convicted? That's There's a lot of gray area around this, and uh, this might be something that the Supreme Court weighs in on over the next few months. Yeah. Um, so, and do you think Joe Biden will be the candidate for the Democrats, or do you think there might be a last-minute flip to a younger candidate? I would be surprised if there was. Okay, so you and you uh, noted that agencies are going to be supporting a lot of election candidates yeah. and campaigns. Frank mentioned Twitter. I mean, they, they have been. Even the Democrats have been spending on Twitter for their candidates. So to, what, what are you expecting to see there? Well, I mean, I think you're, you're obviously going to see a lot of public affairs works, probably lots of grassroots campaigns, the likes of SKDK and Precision Strategies. Those types of firms will be busy. But Frank mentioned the big social media story. And I think TikTok is one to consider. There was a New York Times story about a month ago about how there's a lot of political discourse on TikTok, but not so many politicians on there themselves. Um, they usually defer that to have influencers speaking on behalf of them or they go to Instagram Reels in hopes it'll get repopulated on TikTok. Um, but a lot of people and a lot of pundits have called this the TikTok election because of the power of the app and because it's increasingly become a news source for millennials and younger audiences who obviously we know will be a powerful part of the electorate. So I'm interested to see if they do get on and expect and I expect they do. It'll be up to those communications directors of the campaigns as well as those agency partners to make sure they're getting the messaging right. But I think it's you know largely 
so far, there's been concerns over security and privacy uh, in regards to TikToks. That's likely one of the reasons why so many politicians haven't engaged on there thus far. But now we're in crunch time and it's time when you need to own your message and make sure that's getting a getting through to your base. So it might be a time where we see people step onto that platform. Yeah, for sure. And uh, as we know, Gen Z especially uses TikTok as a search for search, not just for content and uh, entertainment. So maybe there's an opportunity there for some enterprising younger candidates to make that space their own. And maybe that's maybe that will emerge. Like Frank said, um, politics is often a place, especially elections, where best practice has emerged. If you look at some of those agencies, they did come out of people who worked on those campaigns. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see that. Frank, do you mention disinformation and the whole changing social media environment? You know, bad actors, foreign countries do try and um, influence elections, don't they? And um, have been accused of it. And uh, that's one element of disinformation. But if you look at some of the platforms now, and we'll get into TikTok and Twitter and X and all the rest rest of it later, but they, they can be real cesspools, can't they, of um, misinformation and disinformation? Sure, absolutely. And I think anybody who has been on X in recent months have seen a lot of the worst of that and, and really has seen that directed at a lot of groups that don't deserve it. It's, um, it's been a lot more difficult place. Uh, to gather news, to to really be sure that you're looking at, you know, not just accounts that are verified, but that are the authentic accounts they claim to be. Uh, and it's it's definitely a tougher place to navigate than it was before. Yeah, and you and you mentioned cybersecurity. That's part of this story too. But as as just general corporate security and security of data, people's data getting hacked is still a massive, massive. crisis uh, concern for for companies of all types. It absolutely is, and I know some of the agency. Um some of the leaders and some of the, you know, the practitioners that I spoke to last year mentioned that they health, they still had in a, what was a tough year for agencies. They still had good growth and demand in cybersecurity. I know FTI Consulting is going big on cybersecurity. And I think 2023 in a lot of ways showed the importance of being prepared for these types of things. Uh, I know Samsung was criticized uh, for its response to a year-long data breach in outlets like TechCrunch and such as that. Uh, Insomniac Games is a huge video game publisher that had a massive data breach at the end of the year. Um, and they stayed relatively quiet until after the fact, which I saw some people issue with on social media. So, you know, I think it's, you know, in, in today's, especially in today's increasingly connected digital world, these types of attacks are only going to become more common. We spoke about generative AI, that'll certainly exacerbate the problem. So I think, you know, especially to younger audiences expect more transparency. They want to know if their data, if their personal data, especially was breached, they want to know what types, when, how long it was affected. So I think it behooves brands and their agency partners to, you know, strengthen their defenses, be on alert for threats and, you know, be ready to respond if and when these these crises do occur. Yeah. Now, Frank, we used to talk a lot about the, the years when the, we'll talk about the Olympics later, but the years when there was an Olympics and the years when there was an, a U.S. election. The quadrennial years. What were they called? Yeah. So Martin Sorrell, I believe, I believe double bath or, I don't know. <laughs> well, he, he had a lot of great terms and I'm sure, um, you know, all, all five of us when it comes to keen observers of the WPP earnings reports, you know, miss seeing them all the time. We do a little bit, but maybe not that much. But um, <laughs> It's a it big will, year for marketers. It, yeah, and it will mean a lot of more more money coming into new money, you know, money that isn't around in other years coming into the market. So in theory, this should be a bumper year, right? Yeah, and I I'm looking forward to the Summer Olympics. Um, uh, they'll be in Paris uh, later this year, and uh, you know there there is a bit of a concern out there that the Olympics are one of the events losing younger audiences and. Um, you, you see more celebrities attached to NBC's coverage of the Olympics this year, like Snoop Dogg and Megan Thee Stallion. And um, they're definitely 
trying the or the stallion? Well, I I say that you can correct me. Just the, yeah, the excuse me. Sorry, Megan, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> so um, you know, there's a lot of, but but there are new ways to do this. I, I'm I'm interested in. The Olympics were actually a bit of a pioneer on streaming. You could stream a lot of the Olympics and going back as far as 2012, which was in London. And uh, yeah, I remember watching basketball games at very odd hours. And I, I'm interested to see, you know, what ends up on Peacock, what ends up on the different cable channels mm. that, that are part of NBC Universal <laughs> and how this continues to change. You know, we were just uh, having a, a chat out in the newsroom about the amazing numbers that the uh the michigan college football playoff game did on monday night and that's on espn it's not on abc and it's, it leaves a lot of people's head scratching is why it's not on the main broadcast network and it's on the cable network instead that was mainly due to pop tarts wasn't it or was that a different game yeah okay sorry. uh different right sports. Getting, so um <laughs> getting my but, it, but it, you know it, it, Brandon, sorry. <laughs> i know you're is, a big fan that's right yeah. but this has become an interesting environment you know what what games end up on on peacock versus the main channel and sometimes they don't seem to make any sense and yeah the, it's going to be in paris yeah so it'll be six hours behind won't it so it'll be during the day will they still do that thing where they wait till seven at night and try and make it prime time but when frankly everybody's already seen i it don't really days. think you can do that anymore nah, can I you don't. i mean i think that's that's been gone a few but then cycles. i don't think they could do it the but last they, you know it, it is interesting too in that they do they do arrange some events and and this is going back i remember in that the um like the basketball gold medal game in, in Beijing was scheduled in the morning in China uh, because they do try to schedule these events yeah. for the, the broadest possible audience. So um, should be loads of medals for the U.S. The two yeah. big track stars, superstars, and lots of other great uh, potential. And, and it's an interesting time to to see what kind of marketing gets put out there because you know it, it tends to be very positive it tends to be pretty heartwarming there's a lot of there's a lot of good uh stories with the individual athletes not to forget the european soccer championships yeah how, how confident are you about about uh england about, well, well, i thought you called them england uh, yes well, that depends how many beers i've yeah. had how many pints of lager i've had I, how, um, how confident so, are you um, i'm not confident at all we oh, always find gosh. a way to mess it up so uh, i'm sure we will do again we have a, we have the best team i think you but, might so. have the best player but that's a Jude whole Bellion, other yeah, we might absolutely. we could do a different Assuming podcast on that and not, so, uh, i don't know Anyway, uh, <laughs> all right. So one big topic uh, from the last few years post-COVID is return to the office. And we talked about it a lot last year. Everyone thinks about it, every company. Jess, you've been actually writing an analysis piece this week on the topic. What are people saying as we move into 2024? Has the mood shifted at all amongst, amongst companies and amongst workers? I'm sorry, my soccer knowledge is very limited, so I can't participate in that conversation. <laughs> well, if you have another sport you'd like us to chat about. <laughs> no, we can we can go back to return to office. Um, but a year ago today was my first day in office ever, actually. So now we're looking four years past the pandemic and we're still seeing people that are struggling with this concept in every industry, not just in PR directly, that are struggling with how many days do I go back in office? Do we go back at all? A lot of agencies have shifted extremely to remote. Um, Bar has been completely remote and a bunch of other agencies are just trying well, to be. Always remote, always remote, but there are agencies that have switched to remote since the COVID pandemic, either to get rid of their offices or they've just found that their employees prefer it to be that way. But I think the shift that we're seeing right now, a couple of agencies have moved, like you said, um, 
talk about it more in my analysis on January 1st have shifted to a couple more days in office. I think we're seeing now from one to two days to three to four days more, sometimes even from four to five days for the entire week, um, depending on the agency. And there's been a lot of different arguments about it. And I've spoke to different people, Kim Sample from the PR Council in particular. We've discussed how we wish to never speak about RTO again. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. But it's a matter of if it's coming directly from the agency or if it's coming from the client and business side. And some clients don't care at all what you do if you're in the office ever. And some clients that are more public pacing, such as, you know, if they have retail stores or if they're restaurants or hotel chains, different things like that, where they have employees that are required to be in office front facing on the ground all the time that they feel that their operational side should also be in office. So I think we're seeing that conflict. When I spoke to Kim, she said that she felt that a lot of agencies, even though we have seen the shift this month, a couple agencies pushing more days in office that they're going to hold off until February to kind of avoid the depressing nature of coming back to office in January. So I'll be interested to see if a lot more agencies shift that way throughout the year. It seems so crazy to still be talking about it four years after the pandemic, even though there was a lot of shift within office with the different variants and things like that that we had later in 2020 and early in 2021. But I think a lot of more businesses want to see their people in office. And somebody that's a younger Gen Z person that never had an opportunity to be in office, it's something that I want to see. But I think that we will see a mix of maybe three days max for most of agencies overall. Yeah, does it? And it depends also, one, whether you're client side, like you said, or whether you're agency side, but also whether you, which part of the country you're in. You know, what is the, yeah. the, the, the norm in New York City is probably very different to, you know, Idaho or whatever, mm-hmm. where maybe there's a more, um, more of a culture of going back in. And, yeah. and maybe they always went back in more, even during the pandemic. Well, a lot of agencies are also taking into account, to your point, location. Like I know Finn Partners is leaving it up to the different offices and their business units to decide, you know, if our team wants to be in office two, three days a week, or these are the days. That's another issue that I've seen for a lot of agencies that are requiring a number. So they'll say once a week or four days a month, eight days a month, three days a week, but it's not tied to a specific day. So for PR week, we're in office on Tuesday and Wednesdays, but we know that everyone will be here on Tuesday, Wednesdays at other agencies or firms. Sometimes you could be in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but your team members are in on the other days of the week. So it's kind of hard to coordinate what's going to make the most sense for your team. And just asking the question, what is the purpose of me coming into the office and what am I getting out of it? Um, I know the conversations I have is around a lot around empathy and taking into account, you know, a lot of people have pushed to the forefront their priorities in childcare and different things like that, that they got to have more ability to use while they were working from home. If they have young children or if they have different health needs, immunocompromise is still an issue for a lot of people returning to the office if they still have lasting effects from COVID or any kind of other flu, respiratory illness, things like that. Yeah. I think that's uh, a good point. I think uh, some people are going in the office now and still and in a deserted floor, you know, with nobody there or they're sitting on Zoom all day. I don't see the point in that. So I do quite like the Haymarket uh, way of everyone being in on the same two days and then um, not so much on the other three days of the week. Although if you go back to London, for example, then most people are in four or five days a week. And that's just a cultural thing that everybody's back at, back in the office, back at work. There will be changes when leases come up and companies will be looking to save money. They have smaller uh, property portfolios. Interesting point you made about not making decisions in January. Maybe waiting a month. So there weren't a load of. It makes January. a lot of sense when it you does. think about it, it but does. it is also, you know, yeah. I think that's to the back to the point of like just empathy and thinking about the employee in general. You know, retention is a really big problem when you think of RTO. I know that's something else that I talked um, with some of the people for this analysis about in terms of retention. You're not having so many people that I've heard seen leaving agencies because of the return to office policies, but they're not getting as many interested people that want to work there, depending on the number of days in office. That's become a priority for people that are looking to apply places if you have the remote. Um, 
um, complete remote flexibility or if you're back in office. So I think it is we're going to see the shift of a lot of flexibility to different agencies. I know some of the people we saw Weber Shandwick last year had shifted. They were originally three days in office. Now they're two days with a third in person day versus like, you know, seeing clients or getting coffee with somebody or doing things like that. So I think understanding that people want to be able to do different things and work from different places and have different types of workspaces is something that's going to continue on. Yeah. In office does not mean you sit in an office all day. To my mind, it's you're doing, you're in, you're coming to your place of work, but you might be doing client meetings, whatever, going to events, networking, et cetera. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out, especially if, if we see a, a bunch of announcements in February. Thank you, Jess. Let's talk about AI. We can't really get away from that. That was the big story of 23. But I think it'll be a, an even bigger story in 24 and 25 in terms of real stuff to talk about instead of just people thinking about it and experimenting about it. But Diana, you wanted to talk about a spike in AI for creative development. Yeah, um, just based on what I saw over the past several months and speaking with PR pros, I think that we're definitely going to see a spike in the use of AI for creative development. Um, Practitioners are just scratching the surface of how it can be used to influence idea generation um, from evolutions of brand campaigns to visual inspiration. Um, For example, Coca-Cola is doing a lot in this space. Um, It launched the AI-assisted Y3000 flavor, and it also invited consumers to visit createrealmagic.com to create digital greeting cards by reimagining Coca-Cola images and characters through the creative prism of AI tools. Um, And Mary, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering her name, Marieki Bianchi, she's the creative director of Ideation at Hunter. She told me that she also thinks that the question, is this AI? will be asked on the daily this year. Like, for example, there was just the bull that was loose in Newark Penn Station. And many people were like, is this AI? Is this real? Is it a stunt? Like, what's going on? So there's yeah. just going to be more things like that that we see. And we're like, giving us the year's address. Yeah. Was it AI? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's just going to be a question we ask about everything now. We have to second guess everything. Um, <laughs> um, additionally, Alan Newbold, who is an EVP at Carmichael Interlate, told me he thinks chief communications officers will evolve their skill sets to reflect a heavier emphasis on digital data and analytics and AI in 2024. Um, right now, AI usage and acceptance is at the beginning of a continuum. Clients and agencies are experimenting learning capabilities in a behind-the-scenes way. So there's quite, there's still quite a bit of human interaction needed in this phase, specifically as it relates to corporate ethics and standards related to AI. And as the European Union passes legislation mandating disclosure of the use of AI, the U.S. will follow suit. Yeah, Brandon, you've, you're going to be writing a feature on this which we're all looking forward to, and that will be out in February. But uh, so you, you've got a, you're our tech guru, so you've got a lot of knowledge in that area. But you also wanted to highlight the um, developments in AR and VR, the Apple Vision Pro launch, and, and other elements like that for creativity. Yeah, I mean, I think like Diana was just talking about, right? You ask most marketers what their predictions are, their hopes are for, for 2024, and they're going to say that they will see more AI usage, especially for uh, in the realm of creativity. And... Uh, that's probably we're definitely going to see more of that, but I, I think it's almost already become hard to to stand out with AI, right? There's there's so much of it. I think we're going to see this when we start getting pitches again, right? There's this agency has launched a new internal efficiency tool, and your eyes kind of start to to glaze over uh, a little bit. Um, I think for 
brands and agencies that are looking for maybe less crowded ways to innovate with tech. Uh, AR and VR is, is going to be a nice way to do that. Like you mentioned, the Apple Vision Pro is coming out uh, sometime early this year. No official uh, launch date for that just yet, but that's this really futuristic looking mixed reality headset. Um, the way that it kind of integrates, mostly looks like a work tool right now, but gaming, social media, into your immediate environment. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive stuff. And I mean, that headset is $3,500. So I don't think <laughs> that's not going to be uh, you go visit uh, your uncle and he has one of those on the on the shelf. Um, but you know, that that is still a important progression in uh, that tech's, uh, you know, timeline. And um, I think there are cheaper ways to, to use AR VR. Snapchat uses it a lot. So it's uh, that might get more. Yeah. Popular. And the other thing is, it's not like there is an AI campaign, is there? It's got elements of all of those things you were talking about, right? right. It'll have a piece of AR, uh, AI, bit of VR, other stuff in it. It's another tool off the shelf, isn't it, that can be incorporated in, and used. But people are still developing the cool ways to do it. Right, right. Yeah. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how I think the most impressive campaigns are going to find ways to, to blend all of this uh, this different tech pretty seamlessly. Now, in you, and what's the Fediverse? <laughs> is this a, a metaverse for the Federal Reserve, or well, is, this, <laughs> or is, it, is it something else? God, well, I was just going to say, I was actually going to I was actually going to start this segment by saying I'm sure everybody's very glad that they now have another verse to keep track of. Um, but the Fediverse, at least how The Verge kind of explains it, is it's essentially like an interconnected set of apps that can all read and write the same content. Now, what does that actually mean? You kind of compare it. It's essentially decentralized social media, and what it, decentralized social media often gets compared to email, right? Like if I have Yahoo and Brandon has Gmail, we can still email each other with those apps. We don't have to both have Gmail to do that. Um, so for example, like apps like Mastodon and Blue Sky are decentralized. So you might see somebody on Mastodon post and it might show up on your threads feed, such as that. So the concept is that it could potentially take away a lot of power from bigger platforms and platforms that have been dominant in the past, like X and Snapchat. Um, so we could see more people investing in these decentralized platforms, like I mentioned before, Blue Sky and Threads. And, you know, of course, that means more work for their comms teams, their agency partners and those uh, those uh, social media managers. Yeah, but how does it work? Because everyone will be is be a little protective, I suppose. It's like open source. Yeah, I think it's I more think of an open source philosophy. It is, yeah, and I think it really comes down to at that point who can build the best product because your your content is showing up in various different places. So it's who has the best moderation tools, who has the best UI, and who's be, uh, who's generating the best user experience. So it's going to be competitive, but the people that figure it out, I think, will, you know. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be very beneficial for them, but it's just, it comes down to, can you get people off X? Can you get people off Snapchat? I guess we'll have to see. But this was a concept that I think became a little bit more mainstream towards the end of last year, and I'm sure that we'll see a lot more of it in the year ahead. Diana, where are we at on threads? It had a big boom, didn't it? It got up to uh, a vast amount of views and numbers, but then it's kind of stalled a bit, especially on the utility and the features. I think that Threads is dead. Um, oh, I think- big call Whoa. from Diana Bradley. <laughs> PR Week Diana says Threads is dead. Yeah, like... That's the headline. People are Threads on- dead, baby. Like, <laughs> people are on it. Like, brands are on it. Um, I do see them posting regularly. Um, but it feels like most of the people that I talk to, and just looking at the numbers, like, people just... Like maybe they're still on it, but they haven't posted for months and it doesn't have the bells and whistles to attract people. Um, It's hard to search for things. It's just like and it's so similar to Twitter's setup that it's almost like, well, you know, everybody is still basically on or sorry, X, you know, people are still basically on there. 
Hmm. So it's not really, I don't know. I think if, you know, brands are still posting on it and I feel like if they have the resources to post on there, then why not? Maybe it will will eventually come out on top. So it's worth building an audience or a following if they can do that. But I don't think that it's going to be big anytime soon unless they announce like something amazing, like some new... So really it's like a, a bigger version of Clubhouse, really. It attracted everyone in. Everyone got super excited, but then they didn't build on that and they didn't get the features out fast enough and they didn't expand the reach fast enough. Exactly. You think they've already lost the lost the audience? Yeah, I think to get people interested, they're gonna have to definitely something else. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, they kind of rushed their launch back, I think it was in July, because X was doing so poorly at the time. So it seems like they were they were kind of trying to capitalize on that. Maybe without recognizing that that's not a long-term sustainable uh, business model. It's just another platform kind of sucking. Yeah, yeah. Diana, any other social media predictions that we should be looking out for? I mean, I think, I know you guys have talked a little bit about X before and misinformation. So I I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with X this year. Um, Following um, owner Elon Musk's endorsing anti-Semitic posts and his other controversial moves, so many brands, including PR Week, have been weighing up the pros and cons of whether it's worth it to pay to have perks on the site, advertise, or even just post it all on the platform. And it was just reported this week that X is now worth an estimated 71.5% less than it was when Musk purchased it Mm. in October 2022. So I think it's still an important tool for brands and journalists um, just because of its user base. But I predict that will start to change in the next couple of years as users start to migrate elsewhere or if a worthy competitor is born. Okay. And no one's heard of Wilder yet. W-I-L-D-R, nothing to do with the uh, world heavyweight boxing former champion. You went around the uh, office asking the entire team. I don't think a single person well, <laughs> it's, heard of I'm it. I'm a bit worried, Brandon, because it's supposed to be a place for nice content, and nice people to Wait hang on. out, and none of you had heard of it. Well, the so PR Week team a, does uh, not frequent those kinds of <laughs> Well, that's the thing, too, though. That a lot of people said Threads was that nice yeah, uh, content when it first came out, and now we're having this Nobody conversation. Nobody really likes nice, do they? Yeah. I guess Never not. Never the nice person that wins, yeah. It seems like it's like all about X, TikTok. Still, Facebook yeah. still a little bit for some brands. Yeah. Um, Instagram. Insta, obviously, Insta and Snap. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. I saw Wilder advertised over the holidays while I was following the World Blitz Chess Championships, if you're interested. It's niche. Uh, which was obviously one of the other big sporting events of the holidays that probably no one in this room was following either. So there you go. Brandon, talk to us a bit about YouTube and Twitch, and maybe that can segue into the inexorable rise of gaming as well, which you've been following for yes, both Yes, my bread and butter, both of those things. Yeah, uh, YouTube and Twitch video platforms really in general uh, towards the end of 2023, I saw them really investing a lot in their creator uh, base, I guess is the word for that. Um, Really, every announcement that they made, for the most part, was a feature related to a new tool that a creator had at their disposal. Uh, YouTube most recently last month rolled out a feature that let uh, let creators pause comments on their videos. A little bit earlier in October around TwitchCon, Twitch rolled out uh, 
a whole bunch of features, but namely like stories, kind of allowing creators to, to use that platform more like they would any other social media platform. Um, so I'm really expecting this year to kind of see those platforms to continue to sort of to battle each other for to be the place for creators, regardless of how you like to create. Um, both of those platforms, while they specialize in different things, right, Twitch a little more live streaming, YouTube has a little bit more of a handle on uh, long form video, a little bit with short form uh, with shorts too, but um, those platforms are trying to do it all, even if they're not specializing in, in everything. So it's it's gonna be interesting to see, I guess, uh, which one creators continue to gravitate towards as they as they battle to race out, you know, new features against each other. And then gaming in general? Yeah, gaming in general. Creators are going to be super, super relevant there. Uh, I just did actually a, a fairly long story that's coming out this week on this. You know, gaming is, it doesn't really have a dedicated marketing budget yet. Um, it's still kind of tucked away in a lot of like innovation budgets. But we are seeing brands engage with the gaming community more and more last year, um, especially through Roblox in particular. Uh, there were 240 branded games last year. That's double what there were in 2022. And everyone that I've spoken to, gaming uh, advertising experts, are not expecting that platform in particular to, to slow down. Um, but the downside... It's such a huge universe, isn't it? Yeah. People yeah. don't quite realize the scope of it. Yeah. Well, there's, there's billions of yeah. people that uh, play games in various forms. But, you know, the, the more brands get involved in that space, kind of like with AI, right? The harder it's going to be to stand out. So they're going to have to find uh, new ways to enter the space and to, to justify to, uh, you know, the people coming up with budgets. That's Do you think uh, how significant is the finalization of that Activision Blizzard Microsoft deal? What, what sort of difference is that going to make now that they can move forward? It's a good question. I mean, I know that... Uh, Activision Blizzard actually has been one of the few game companies that has been developing uh, dedicated measurement tools, funny enough, for, for brands. They're maybe a little bit more active with getting uh, you know, non-endemic brands into the gaming space than a lot of other gaming companies are. I am interested to see if that's something Microsoft still wants them to do, to be mm. a little bit more appealing to, to the marketing uh, industry in general. Because um, that's always, see, yeah. the, always the key, isn't it? How do I measure this new investment I'm putting in it's not subject to the usual sort of Nielsen exactly. or whatever it's not just impressions That's, exactly you know, not, yeah, yeah. alright good stuff Diana what about influencer marketing such a huge part of the comms and marketing world what are you expecting to see there in 24 so I don't think this area will change drastically um, I think that it will you know everybody that I've been speaking to they all feel that um it's all about, and I hate to use this word, but it was one of the words of the year. It's all about being authentic, authentic influence. I thought you were going to say it's all about having Riz. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, Which is I also will, one I of the words of the year. I will speak about that later oh, on okay. the podcast. Oh, but, um, I didn't mean to but, um, yeah, I, I, even, I, I just want to call out Spool VP Taryn Parker. Um, she told me also that she thinks authentic influence will continue to be a big trend this year as brands look to sway consumer decision making by finding organic ways to leverage the coveted trust that exists between the influencer and their loyal followers. So nothing new there. Um, yeah, that's always been the balance, getting someone who's genuinely influential and has personality, but is kind of aligned with your brand values and isn't going to go rogue and put you in, into a crisis situation, of which we've seen many in, in that area too. Exactly, yeah. 
Um, and it'll be interesting to see like if micro influencers, if that continues to be a trend or um, like when I spoke with Box Ballin about their product and how they yeah. market it, they said that they don't even use influencers. They go straight to celebrities. So um, it'll be interesting Who, to see. Which is a subset of influencers on the Venn diagram, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting story um, about how trends just sort of come out, explode out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, anything more to say on sports, Frank? I mean, there's obviously the big the big sports are American football and college football, aren't they? And they're both absolutely booming and uh, continue to be a massive draw for uh, fans, for brands, for advertisers, and for everyone who wants to communicate around them. There's a really intriguing sports story, a sports business story happening out there. And that's that over the holiday break, the uh, NFL did really good ratings numbers on Christmas uh, which is a day sports wise that has always belonged to the NBA and I think a lot of people are looking to see in future years if uh, the NFL tries to make this an annual thing uh, which is a bit tricky because you know Christmas can take place on any day of the week Hmm. but uh, there are a lot of people looking at the numbers and don't think they're going to go back from this and that they are going to try to make it an annual Christmas day uh, at least one game schedule. So that's, I think, something to keep an eye on in future years. Yeah. Jess? Can I just note that I believe the Chiefs played on Christmas and Taylor Swift was there and her brother was dressed as Santa. Just <laughs> just, did, just, as a point of reference for the numbers. Did the Chiefs win? I don't believe that they did win. They won on New Year's <laughs> Eve. I'm not a Chiefs fan. I, I don't do football. Um, I'm technically a Jets fan, but that doesn't mean I like football either. Um, <laughs> I like it. See? There you go. I could do sports. Um, but I think that is worth noting that a lot of the numbers for the NFL this year, you know, the spike has you know, coordinated with Taylor Swift's presence in a lot of ways, whether you think that the player's actual you, skill you, has gone down otherwise. But, but do you think that's story. fair when it's been teams across the board? No, I no, I don't necessarily say that. I don't think that that's the entirety of the conversation, but I think it's a very important part because even friends of mine who have like little to no interest in sports or knowledge or understanding have started to learn. Like there's a podcast I listen to that talks about these girls that are super into the NFL now because Taylor Swift is dating um, an NFL player. Haley Steinfeld is dating an NFL player. So it's the integration of pop culture celebrities with football players, which isn't anything new, you know, to happen now. But somebody like Taylor Swift, Times Person of the Year, you know, having that kind of presence now, the Swifties are flooding the games just to get a glimpse of her at the games, which the NFL has clearly taken advantage well, of. Well, it's potentially bringing new fans to the sport, and that's good yeah. for the brands that advertise around it as well, isn't it? Ewan. And can I just say, I know we're going to talk about brand safety a little bit later, so I don't want to go into it too much, but I think, you know, in a world where people are, and brands are, you know, having trouble deciding where they want to show up, I think sports in general is a relatively safe space. So I think it's a, you know, we spoke about having games on Christmas Day. It's to the benefit of the NFL because people want to watch when they're celebrating the holidays, uh, but brands, you know, it's just like a relatively safe space where they can get a lot of eyeballs on them. And it's where you can have a conversation with your family about a, a fairly safe topic. Or not have a conversation. Or just watch family. the game. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you're choosing to do. Diana. Um, Frank, do you think that edible uh, mass brand mascots will help the sports world? I, I really don't want to weigh in on, on this. <laughs> Come on, Frank. Yeah, the world wants so to know. I think I'll probably, I'll think probably have nightmares for years to come about the uh, edible trophy guy. Uh so. But the Taylor backlash was always going to happen, wasn't yeah. it? You know, so I guess you've got to be prepared for that. Does that mean all those new fans will suddenly disappear? 
or were of some of them being converted to sports and anything in the sort of college area Frank in terms of you know nil and athletes you know exploiting well, that, their own, that's continuing their own yeah and that's continuing to, to shake itself out because you know there's been these two stories that have been happening at the same time since the pandemic and that's the college athletes can make name image and likeness money which is nil for short uh, but also that the transfer portals are a, a big thing now in college sports and, and athletes can switch schools a lot more easily than they could in the past. And a lot of this uh, NIL advertising is local or regional. And so you have players moving around more often. So it's, it's a very fluid situation. Still. Mm. Yeah, it's a fascinating time. And um, yeah, we'll follow it closely. Jess, then moving to another topic in your healthcare and pharma beat. One of the big stories in 23 was the weight loss drugs, rise of Ozempic and others. So what do you expect to see in 24 in terms of the development of stories around those? Some of them are layered stories, aren't they? You know, some of these drugs are not necessarily, for one thing, some of them are not even weight loss drugs. They just happen to have that as a side effect. But talk us through what you're finding. Yeah, I think the end of last year, the second half of last year was really big for weight loss drugs in general. I mean, to your point, that's not necessarily their intended purposes. I mean, Novo Nordisk, um, their two weight loss drugs, which is Ozempic and Wegovy. Ozempic is specifically for diabetes. Wegovy is specifically for obesity. But they've kind of become under this understanding of this is a way that you can, you know, lose weight. And I think it's interesting to note because even though Eli Lilly is in the space now, they have Manjaro, which is for diabetes, and they just got approved in November, ZepBound, which is to treat obesity. So they have those two players as well. But I think it's interesting. I was talking with Jack from MM&M, Jack O'Brien, if you don't know him, at lunch about this. Our sister title that covers that space. Yes. Who has a little bit more of the technical understanding than I do. But we were talking about how, you know, when you talk about weight loss drugs, you immediately think Ozempic. Like that's going to be the name that you talk about otherwise, um, just immediately. And even people that are on the drug that aren't on specifically Ozempic will say that they're on Ozempic so that you have a better understanding of it. And when I think about, you know, you hear that Ozempic song, I feel like that's been around forever, but it's just having its moment in the sun right now. So I think it'll be interesting for 2024. We've seen a lot of celebrities start to come out and own that they're using Ozempic or some other kind of weight loss drug. Oprah was the big one recently, which is a really big deal. Obviously, she's been, you know, she has Weight Watchers is her company. So she's been in this space for a really long time. She has not said which brand she's using, which is something of note too. But Weight Watchers has said that they're going to be, you know, through their program using consultations for GLP-1s, which is that kind of weight loss drug. That's the classification type. So they're going to be offering that through their program. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see the communication around the drugs and where they're getting that promotion, whether it's through celebrity endorsement or paid or earned media, because it seems that a lot of the advertising and promotion around it is coming from the actual companies and their brands. But it's more so coming from celebrity endorsements, whether that's on purpose or not, like Nova Norstic for Ozempic worked with um, Queen Latifah and she used them as her as a spokesperson. But not all these companies are using specific people. They're just from their own experience coming out and talking about that. And I feel like there's a new one every day. Yeah, that's and it's a very heavy regulated space so yeah. obviously that plays into it yeah and a good roundup there and uh, an interesting space you'll be able to find out more about that at the PR Week Healthcare Conference in New York City on May the 21st so do uh just put that in your diary or put it on your calendar, sorry, because that's going to be an interesting, uh, very interesting day. And we'll have the PR Week Awards, Healthcare Awards in the evening. You've got another week or so to get your entries in for that. Okay, Frank, let's switch gears to electronic vehicles. It's going to be a make or break year for EV trucks and cars, according to your good self. It's an important year, yeah. And I think, look, we're, we're all going to eventually end up driving electric vehicles, I think, at some point. 
And it's been fascinating to see how this market uh, continues to evolve. You see a lot of uh, mixed signals from U.S.-based companies where you have, uh, you know, GM did not hit the numbers they wanted to uh, by mid-2024, but they're expecting better numbers next year, and they've had to pull back some of their targets. Uh, Tesla has continued to produce, you know, very strong numbers for EVs, but their models tend to be very expensive. And that's opened the door uh, for the China-based company BYD, uh, which uh, has become the biggest uh, electric car maker uh, in the world as of the end of this year. Now, they don't sell cars in the U.S., but they do in Europe. Uh, and like I said, they're China-based. And you can imagine a scenario where you, you're almost back to the auto wars of the 1980s and 90s between, you know, an, an American-based company and a Chinese-based company. Um, so th- this is a really fascinating uh, part of the auto industry. It is continuing to grow, even even maybe not at the, the numbers that people once expected. Um, but the, but this is going to continue to be really, really interesting to watch. Yeah, now BYD's not in the U.S. yet. No, they're it? not. They're not yet. It's in Europe, um, and they've they've cracked the code on price, haven't they? They're to they like have. ten to fifteen thousand price point. Yeah. So. Now, and it it has to be pointed out, you know, a lot of the a lot of the models that PYD makes, you know, they're hybrids, whereas Tesla uh, makes strictly electric vehicles. So it's not a total apples to apples comparison. Um, It's also interesting watching the the communications perspective where you have GM put so much of their attention over the past few years about telling a story about how they're, they're a technology company and not an automotive company and how they're transitioning to electric vehicles. Well, if they're putting the brakes on it a little, no pun intended, then um, you know, what does it mean for the people that have to tell that story? So something to watch for the, uh, for 2024. Going to pun it, lean into it, Frank. You know, that's <laughs> my motto. But uh, what do you think, Gen Zers? Um, are we all in on electric vehicles? Is uh, gas, gas-fueled vehicles a thing of the past? I do feel a little biased as a New Yorker. I, mm. I haven't driven in a, in a long time, That's nor true. thought about driving I in any vehicle. So. I agree. I haven't owned a car for 15 years and uh, very yeah. happy about it. Yeah. But if I had to have one, I'd probably, yeah, electric sounds I saw a few better. more Teslas around recently in New York City, actually, and, and uh, even as Ubers. So they, I know in some cities they get subsidized deals or Tesla's done deals with the city. I don't know if they've done one in New York, but I did see a few more around over the holidays. How about you, Ewan? Yeah, I mean... I'm kind of in the same boat as Brandon. I've only lived here for a year now, but I don't drive at all, really. If I was to drive, I would like to to use an electric vehicle. But I know the big concern is also about, you know, charging. Can you get to a station? And you have to plan almost your schedule around that. So there are some concerns on top of the things Frank said. But I do think he's right. I do think uh, at some point, all of us will probably end up driving one. And, and I'm okay with that. I'd like to drive an electric vehicle. Diana, you live out in the sticks. You have a family. The car is essential. Do you have an electronic vehicle? Um, there were none available when I was looking. Wow. Um, yeah. Even for I, an influencer I wanted like a yourself. hybrid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I know that there's like issues with like availability and, and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely like would love to drive well, one Well, that's a problem. Day. Supply, yep. um, battery life, Price. fears about getting stuck in the middle of nowhere with, with a flat. <laughs> with a flat battery. Um, so those are all the communications narratives that the industry's got to get over. So, um, yeah, interesting to see how that plays out. Ewan, over to you. So you cover the corporate sector. 
big year for corporate shops of all sizes, from the big holding companies down to the new small specialists, many of which started up. And you don't expect that to change in 2024? No, not at all. I think, I mean, look, I think everybody knows that CEOs and executives are looking for more communications counsel in general, but I do think there's a massive demand as well, particularly for counsel on acquisitions, uh, activist investors, corporate crises in general. And that's led to the creation of a lot of new firms. I mean, take, for example, Collected Strategies, which we covered the launch of last year that was formed from a couple different Joel Frank staffers, as well as a Bloomberg uh, reporter. And I think that trend will continue this year. I mean, look, deal making definitely slowed down last year, but it was a tough year from a macroeconomic standpoint. I think a lot of people, especially deal makers, expected to come back and are or to rebound in 2024. And I think it's a good source of income and growth for agencies. Um, I mean, you mentioned some of the holding companies, you know, even when WP reported lower than expected results in Q2 and Q3 last year, they still highlighted FGS Global uh, for its performance. So I think that's definitely one to keep an eye on. I think you'll see a couple more uh, specialist shops come out uh, and launch, but I think you will know, you'll see the big players continue to do well as well. You know, the Taneos, the, the Joel Franks of the world, I think they'll be active. Yeah, for sure. Um, Brandon, brand safety. You're basically, I think, reading between the lines and might be playing devil's advocate here. You're saying, listen, we've all got too safe here. Let's take some risks. Let's throw the baby out with the bathwater and let's go for it. Was that what you were saying? It's not that far off. Right? <laughs> yeah. it, it's so it's like we were saying earlier, right? We need more websites that are just we're not safe, not boring. <laughs> but no, I mean, like, so last year, right, we saw uh, X has lost so much money because advertisers just don't want to both appear next to the content that's on that website and even be associated with its with its owner. And it's, you know, brand safety is not a new need, but it is, I feel like, one that last year became a little bit more of a, a top of mind need, largely because of, uh, of that platform. Um, but, you know, I've also written about how it's affected uh, not just social media platforms, our, our industry, right? Maybe this is why I'm a little biased. Um, Jezebel's closure last year was largely attributed to its, uh, its inability to get advertisements to run on that website because it covered things like sex, uh, war, politics. Um, so I could, you know, I could see this conversation progressing in a few different ways, right? Brands do let up a little bit and they start to maybe take some more risks and appear next to things that uh, are not quite so squeaky clean. The internet, generally, uh, in an effort to, to get those dollars, tries to, capitulate a strong word, but uh, you know, have sites that are, that are brand safe. Um, or advertisers maybe just don't appear next to, uh, on the kinds of websites that they want to, right? This was a, when I spoke to a couple experts for that, uh, that Jezebel story, one of the downsides I heard to brand safety becoming an increasing need for, for advertisers is that, um, especially for pro programmatic, automatically run ads, right? You might just appear on websites that are either completely AI generated, have stolen plagiarized content on them, um, just because they meet these arbitrary safe check marks that you've you know created for yourself yeah so it's not about throwing the baby out with the bath water but for the right brands in the right situations it's what you're saying is brand safety has made people a little bit conservative and you have to be bold in marketing and communications and maybe it's time to take a few risks again right. i think is summarizing what you're saying there which yeah for the right brands i think that's a that's a good message all right Diana, Generation Alpha is here. We read your column last year. I didn't understand all of it. We were all the lingo. <laughs> you talk about rizzing on social media and all that.
all this stuff, but I'm an elderly gentleman, you know, in the dotage of his years. Um, tell us about Gen uh, Gen Alpha and what what the what are how are they going to change things? We're, we're still getting used to Gen Z. Yeah. Um, Gen Alpha, if for anybody that doesn't know, is anybody who was born between 2010 and 2024. So Gen Alpha is now the oldest ones are 14. Mm -hmm. uh, they're turning 14 this year. Um, so it's definitely a generation that should be on marketers' radar. Um, Old enough to have a big party when their parents leave town for the weekend? 14, I yeah. guess. Um, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so I, I wrote a column recently about, um, about this subject, um, how they've already started creating their own memes using very confusing lingo about skibbity toilets, which if you haven't seen, go on YouTube and check it out. It's the weirdest thing you'll ever see. Um, Is it brand safe, Diana? I, I Is it Haymarket brand it's, safe? It's safe. It's just bizarre. Um, it's skibbity. It's skibbity, whatever that means. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, it's a bad thing. Rizzler. They use terms like Rizzlers. Riz. That was like a word that was the word of the year last year. Uh, they, the Ohio. They love talking about Ohio, which they like refer to as hell on earth, but they use it in place of that. Um, and there's a lot of weirdness going on. So brands kind of need to they need to study up on all this lingo um, we'll see how brands start to incorporate that into their marketing efforts in the coming months so it's it's just going to be mm. a real challenge understanding their humor which is quite different are you feeling threatened by these generation alphas uh, gen z i'll just say i was uh, a quick anecdote here i was with a younger relative uh i was talking to the editorial team about this a couple of weeks ago and um he's a fan of skibbity and all the stuff that diana mentioned and he ran circles around me i could not keep up with him at all and i consider myself you know hip i know some of the memes and stuff going on but i could not keep up whatsoever so yeah i'd start to say i feel threatened gen z? yeah i guess so <laughs> down with gen lives in jersey city you know? come on but i think the problem is it's seems like they're making it up as they go along, which is kind of like, how do you Isn't keep that up what with we that? All do? <laughs> Some of us are just more confident about it. <laughs> all right, Frank, just to finish this off, I mean, it's, looking at the year in general, the economy is still an interesting one, isn't it? Because we didn't get the recession that some thought last year. The indicators are really positive in a lot of areas. You know, inflation is down. Jobs, job market is really strong. Gas prices are down. Consumer confidence over the holidays. People were buying, they were spending money like water, weren't they? Um, but there's still this sort of dull sort of pessimism in the background is that being driven by certain what how is this going to play out in 24 you it's, know? it's a great question because this is happening with the election happening and uh you know some people are calling it the the vibe session in that it's there's there's uh very little chance of recession now knock on wood uh but the you know the recession that people thought was going to happen in 2023 obviously never happened um inflation has cooled off a lot uh, wage growth is strong. I mean, there's a lot of very strong economic in indicators. Productivity is up. Yes, yes, even here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also, uh, the, the stock market is, is at an all-time high or was yeah. at an all-time high last week. And all of these things would tend to produce an economy that people are really enthusiastic about. And it's not, it's not showing up in the political polls and it's not showing up in a lot of economic uh, Surveys either. Is the uh, Biden so it's campaign keeping its powder dry to really pile in, or do you think they're missing an opportunity? Well, I think I think 
I think, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, I think there's there's been a failure with the, the Biden White House in general to go out and sell accomplishments and to go out and uh, take credit for the economic accomplishments, uh, which is difficult when inflation is as bad as it has been. But there, there, there has not been a willingness or an ability to go out and, and sell the accomplishments and sell, you know, for instance, like the, the bill that is going, or excuse me, the law that is going to result in so many more microchips being made here uh, than mm. other countries, uh, or job growth or the unemployment rate or all these things. It's just, it is, it's not being promoted in the way that, I mean, look, if, if, you know, if former president Trump was, was president now, and you were seeing these economic signals, you, you would not be able to get away from him talking <laughs> about right. them. They would be everywhere. And I think that does change things when you move from one administration to the other. And I think people expect the president to be out and, and, uh, taking too much credit for these things that are happening. And I, I think that the, the Biden team has not done that yet. Yes, yeah, certainly so. feels like former President Trump's campaign and comms team is on the ball and getting its messaging over much more effectively at the moment than the yeah, Democrats. Yeah, and it's, well, and I think a big part of that is because he's in an actual race right now, too. And that, you know, he yeah. has, they have to be active in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, and they do, at least in New Hampshire, have at least one serious contender that they have to. Uh, be concerned about. And so, you know, but it's also, it's always easier to run as the challenger because fewer rules apply to what you can do. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I do take what you're saying to be true as well. And they have been out there and more aggressive, I think, than a challenger generally would be at this point. Well, thank you, Frank, Diana, Jess, you and Brandon. It's been great hanging out with you. It's a bit like an extended sort of chat around the newsroom, isn't it? But yeah. everyone's listening and hopefully people found it useful. I thought it was a great conversation, so maybe we should do it more often. But uh, we're hitting the ground running in 24. Send us your stories. Send us your ideas. Let us know what you think is going to happen. We look forward to seeing you at events. We've got deadlines coming up for the Healthcare Awards, for the Global Awards. We've got the 25th Anniversary PR Week Awards in uh, New York City on March 14th, the Oscars of the PR industry. And uh, it's going to be super bad this year as it's our 25th iteration. We've got the Global Awards in London in May. It's all happening. I'm off to Davos in two weeks. So if you're going to be there, let me know. And um, yeah, let's hit the ground running and break some stories. There's lots going on. That's all we got time for on the PR Week.